some things are scary like so like your brain will naturally be like okay like that's a bit scary that's a bit of a risk like let's kind of not do that let's do the safe option but it's like but sometimes the safe option is the thing that ends up screwing you over in the long run any anyway hello and welcome to the creative weirdo podcast because today's weirdo is tomorrow's genius today's episode, I'm talking to British motion design luminary Nick Hill. Nick is the founder of Creative Studio 23rd C. And we talk about Nick's route into motion design from making Legos as a kid to graffiti to getting his first break in London and eventually starting his own studio. I think there's loads of inspiration here for anyone who's looking to carve out a path in motion design. One of my biggest takeaways from this conversation was how Nick has applied creativity, not just to his design work, but to his career as a whole, like rolling with the inevitable ups and downs and staying true to his passions. It's really a masterclass in following your intuition. So if you're currently in a bit of a dilemma between listening to what your head says and what your heart says, perhaps Nick's story will inspire you to do what feels right for you. So with that said, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Nick Hill. Nick, uh, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, like uh, who are you? What, what do you do? <laughs> um, so my name is Nick Hill. I'm a motion designer by trade, I guess, but actually more than, at the moment, I'm more like creative director, art director, bit of a producer, and then motion designer in between that as well <laughs> uh i'm founder of 23rd c we're currently operating more as like a remote distributed collective and yeah we like to mix the digital and the physical but also do a bunch of just like you know your normal quote unquote uh motion graphics like after effects cinema 40. so what when you say a digital collective was is that something that's kind of sprouted up since like the whole pandemic thing or were you already doing that beforehand um well, I was already doing it in the sense of like collaborating a lot with other artists like whether they're based in Indonesia or in like Germany um and like or Serbia and then working with clients in in the US um but kind of pre that I was sort of like figuring out what is the best way to go like there's been times when you know I've tried to figure out like building like a, you know, more of like an in-house team and the kind of struggles that go with that versus like having everything a bit more kind of distributed. And it's just been a lot of like establishing what works um, for the artists and what works works for me. And definitely like since like the whole COVID thing, it just like solidified that actually like things work perfectly well um, with everyone being remote. And I think like, you know, there's obviously like different um there's pros and cons like some some things do take longer like there's like a longer kind of communication process sometimes but equally like it's a lot more flexible and people can like have have their own lives you know like you don't have to sort of conform to a a regimented set of times or like a regimented environment it's just like it kind of it is is what it is but it's yeah it was definitely something that's been like 
kind of in my mind and I know like a lot of other artists operate in that sense anyway but as soon as you start talking like studio you immediately think of like f physical space like bodies in the room um and it's just like I think recently been trying to kind of reimagine what that actually what does it actually mean and I think it means like collaboration how that collaboration takes form and how that happens is like kind of up completely up for grabs given the the nature of the creative process yeah it's, i mean it's, a, it's as good a time as any to start to really explore that now as well i guess right with current circumstances yeah i think like the main thing and i say this to a lot of people like the main thing that changed is like um so artists always have viewed that way of working like i said we always worked with artists that way but i think the 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 pandemic forced like other businesses that didn't operate in that way to then operate in a working from home capacity and then yeah. as soon as you're in that situation you realize that it doesn't matter like the everyone being in the same office isn't what makes the output good it's like the talent behind that or whatever you know so i think it's normalized that culture which is great because now it means that like the people that we're working with are on the same like playing field as it were as, as the artists and you know everyone's got like their own subscriptions and their own plugins and their own like graphics cards and it just it feels like quite a nice way of working mm. um, and that's not to say like like you know you still hire people but it depends what you want like if you're if you're freelancing you just you come in you do a project and you go away if you like are hired somewhere you're kind of much more involved and you depending on where you're at in your career you can get like kind of mentored and supported and level up in different ways so it really depends on like what you want out of out of your journey and for me it's quite interesting like looking at that and like gauging what you know people who i collaborate with want to get from where they're going as well. Nice. I, w I really want to talk more about that collaboration thing, but I also kind of want to <laughs> sort of rewind a little bit and kind yeah. of go, because I'm also really interested in, in sort of your, your history as well and sort of tracing a bit of a path to, to yeah. where you are now. And so just to get an idea of maybe, could you talk a little bit about how you got into motion design in the first place? And that could be from, I don't know, maybe it started when you were, you know, like a toddler or maybe it started a lot later than that. But what do you think yeah, was, yeah. what do you think was like the first seed that kind of got you interested? I mean, there's, you know, if we go way, way back, like I was always into um, like building stuff. I was like, you know, that like a lot of people just into playing with Lego and always into like being hands-on and being creative um like every year like that was every year at christmas that was a thing that like i would be super excited for like i couldn't sleep i'd wake up and like shake my stocking and try and find the lego one and then beg my mum to be able to open that one open it build it and then go back to sleep like <laughs> like <laughs> i was doing that since i was like since as early as i could rem remember like always into like building stuff and i think that trains your brain to think like to visualize and that's essentially what we do isn't it it's like visualize and then try and like make it mm -hmm. so that process definitely started from quite a young age but I guess like my 
my journey into like more like motion graphics was more like you know in my in my teen years um i'd been doing like a lot of like illustration street art graffiti like i grew up in bristol so it's kind of hard to not be inspired by like that because it's just everywhere like i used to skateboard and so in the skate parks it'd be all the graffiti and then you'd get like chatting to the the guys that do it and I was just a bit like, oh, I really want to do that. Like, so I went to Forbidden Planet, which is this like science fiction store that has like figurines, of, like all sorts, Star Wars, Star Trek. And but they also had like a graffiti mag section. So I bought a magazine there and then just started copying and then would like copy certain letters from certain artists and then put them together and like try and come up with my name and things like that. And so I was doing that for like for years and doing like printing t-shirts and doing artwork I did like my first art exhibition at 13 in like Eat the Beat in like this record store and like sold a canvas and I was like, actually I sold I think I sold three but like the first one I sold just like blew my mind I was like holy shit like someone wants to actually like pay for that and put it on their wall and that kind of like changed my perspective and but at the same time I was just enjoying just like creating and um I was doing that then I worked in like a pharmacy as a, a dispenser like just as a job but I worked part-time so I would go and I'd work there and then in my lunch breaks like either paint or like make beats and then go back to work and was like pretty happy just doing that then this girl I was with at the time she was stud- studying well she, we were together in Bristol and she moved to London to study and when I went up to visit I was like oh it's, uni is actually pretty cool so like started thinking about courses and I was chatting to my mum and she was like, oh, you pay more attention to the TV adverts than you do the TV programmes. Because like, I just loved like, you know, like those car adverts of them, like turning into robots and all that kind of crap. It was yeah. just like, oh, I wonder how they did that. So I actually, I just Googled like motion graphics and then like motion graphics courses in London and found that London Metropolitan University was doing like a BA honours in motion graphics. And at the time, this was like over 10 years ago, the, um, uh, to do a degree in motion graphics, it was usually a master's, not a bachelor's. Um, so I basically like got all my um, illustration work together and made a portfolio. Cause usually like, I don't know, like in the UK, it's like you have to do an art foundation for a year before you can do another like design led course yeah. to make a portfolio. But I hadn't done that. I had no plans of doing that after college. So I just made a portfolio out of like the work I've been doing for myself and went for an interview and they gave me a place and that was really cool. Um, but in my first year, my tutor, Adrian was like, so we know you can draw, but like, why don't you try and reinvent yourself? So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Then like we started to do a bit of after effects. Like we weren't doing that much technical stuff. It was more about like design and design thinking. And because there was only eight people on the motion graphics course, we were then with the graphic design course too. So yeah, basically I did like the first year was mainly graphic design with a small bit of with motion, of motion graphics. And then in my second year, um, you know, usual like more modules, we did like one module on After Effects and one module on Cinema 4D. But a guy came in from this fashion agency called factory three and one and like posed this competition he was like oh uh have a competition and basically you need to animate this graphics package for arsenal football club like for their online tv show 
and whoever wins it i'll get them a laptop and like my dad and my brother are like massive arsenal fans even though we're from bristol like i technically grew up in like an arsenal household so i was like right i've got to go for this like like screw it like quite naively because i only really opened after effects like once and that was to just like animate some text using like an animator it was like super basic but um yeah so i went for it and basically like everybody else who went went for it just gave up and i didn't give up <laughs> just kept going why, why didn't do anything they gave up because it was like it was quite a lot to ask in a way like for like second year students who hadn't really done much right it was like on top of the the regular yeah yeah college was, work like, and all that you, kind of stuff yeah yeah. Evenings mm-hmm. and, yeah everyone else gave up um and then by that point i was like in too deep like i couldn't <laughs> couldn't back out um so yeah i basically carried on did that project um i actually did that project on a laptop that i saved up for from my job working as a pharmacy before i went to to uni so he was like well if you keep working for me on this other project is another arsenal project i'll get you a top of the range imac so that like, well how can i refuse that so carried on doing that got the imac um and then at the end of my second year like kind of interned with him over the summer so by the time i went into my third year i'd already had like you know worked on like three arsenal projects and like i'd done like a bunch of stuff anyway and then my final year i did like my final major project all that sort of stuff and then basically uh, when i left rather than like trying to find a job i was like screw it i'm going to go on like housing benefits go on the doll like make a portfolio and just try and get a job like at a studio so i like sent out some emails it's like we are 17 spot like all the studios are liked which is quite bold really considering like the, the standard that they're at like they were at then and like but I just liked their work and wanted to like be doing work like that. And then, um, yeah, sent them emails, but then followed up with a phone call. And I remember that's bold. That's, that's, that's bold. I mean, sending emails is one thing. I know a lot of people get stuck there, but like just calling up as well. That's like, yeah. that's a pretty, that's a bold move. It's fu- It's funny. Cause it was purely based out of like being completely naive, like, not being kind of arrogant it was just like i was just like oh like like it's like excitement like naivety because i would definitely it's funny like i haven't even done that kind of thing now for like 2013 to find try and find new business but at at that moment in time it felt like really right and steve was like oh that's it's really nice that you rang yeah like come in come in for a chat so then we had a chat and he was like oh well when we'll put you in the mix like when something comes up we'll give you a shout and then i went to spov had a chat with alan at spov and alan like came up with like they didn't have any any work at the time but he came up with like a passion project and was just like yeah you can come and come in and work on this which is really nice of him and so i did that for like a couple of weeks so you're Uh, essentially working for free but just like uh... oh he was like he paid me a day rate like a reduced day rate like it was like mad like he was like it was it's crazy to think like of like it, that was such a good good gesture on on his part um because he was like he basically was like oh we don't have anything at the moment but like 
we think you like you'd be useful in the future kind of thing so then they kind of just came up with this idea and then we were working on that and yeah it was like it was mad <laughs> then after Before, all, just sorry just to stop you just to cut in for a second like i think it's it's worth like dwelling for a little bit on that you know just that just that little piece there about you basically finishing uni and then and then you weren't setting any expectations on getting a job at that time you were just focusing on doing the work right like you were like okay i, I i'm not i don't need a job right now i'm just going to focus on improving my portfolio and then yeah and i'll see what happens yeah is that right and then yeah, and then yeah. you st- and then you were like sending out emails and, and calling people and um yeah so right, I think there's a couple of things there that people like i think a lot of people get stuck in like one place where people get stuck a lot and myself included you know i think it's 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 always easy to talk yourself out of you know taking a risk i think yeah. you know because it's it's a risk you're, you're saying okay i'm gonna go on the dole um but you're kind of banking on you're kind of investing in yourself long term because you're like i'm gonna invest in my craft and then yeah. you know and then i'm gonna apply to the places that i really want to work rather than go for like the sort of the more short-term solution, which is like, right, I need to get a job now. I need money. I'm going to take the first thing that comes along. And sometimes that's fine as well, right? I think it works differently yeah. for different people, but I think it's it's interesting to see how that paid off. And then the second part is the fact that you were, you know, willing to put yourself out there a bit and send out emails and, and phone calls. And I can totally resonate with you saying like, even, you know, like maybe you're even less likely to do it now than you were back then yeah yeah and there's something you know there's something i recognize in myself from like from you know when i was younger and you know it's sort of you could call it naivety or whatever it is but um there's something about that naivety that like opens up a lot of doors (laughs) when i i mean i could look back at my whole career really and say like you know if i'd gone back to where i was maybe with my current or, you know, with, with my more experienced, like, knowledge that I have now, maybe I wouldn't have done any of those things because maybe oh. I would have been too much in my head, logical. Oh, no, yeah, you, yeah. you can't do that. There's no money in that, all that yeah. stuff. I just kind of went with my intuition and it just led me to all these places. And, right. and you, you just can't, like, you, you can't predict, right? But there's always that element of risk that, you know, like, so So I think, I think for me, the takeaway from that is, like, your, you know, whatever that smart voice in your head is that's telling you to do the, the logical thing is not always the right, no, like, no, the right thing to do. Not you know, right like thing. it might seem like the smart thing to do, but, but I think there's a lot to be said for just following, like getting more in touch with your heart and just being yeah. like what feels right. And yeah, that's yeah, that that's like, um, that's always worked for me. When I look back, it's always the times when I actually just went with my, went yeah, with my heart seemingly riskier approach yeah she has far more reward yeah and it's only i mean it's also a matter of perspective too when you talk about risk it's like maybe it's risky if you look at it purely financially or it's risky because you know i might not be able to pay the bills but then you could also say it's well it's risky not to follow my own like destiny uh, yeah to follow my what i want because i'm risking happiness you know you maybe you're you're risking a paycheck versus risking doing a job your whole life that you don't that just doesn't satisfy you so no, it's all a matter of perspective i think definitely yeah and it's funny because like i mean i guess you saying that like made me remember some other things that like put me into that 
that frame of mind because like like my my I told you my like my brother was super mad into football and he's like two years older than me and his whole like life was dedicated to to football he basically like was on like the Bristol Rovers like youth team and they get fed this idea that like they're going to make it and like the chances are so so fine and then he ended up getting dropped like quite like late into it like beyond like past college so like seemingly quite late to do like a career change and then so I was a bit like oh shit like you can't count on like other people to like get you there like because in that in that field you're like very much counting on like your coaches like picking you and putting you forward to the next the next stage so that was a bit of a like kind of eye-opener and then like my dad, when, when I was in my first year of uni, my dad, who'd been working at this company for like over 30 years, like just got made redundant out of the blue. And I was just like, wow, like even after all that time, like you can just get dropped. So it's like, again, it kind of puts you in this mindset of like, I don't really want to have to rely on that. Like, so then you, it, yeah, subconsciously you're sort of forced to take things into your own hands in a way. And I think that's a lot where a lot of that came from. It's just like, how can I take action to make this work like actively, like not just passively kind of expect something to happen. Mm. But equally again, it's like, yeah, it was sort of naivety, but I think that's what I also find it mad when there's, when there's all of this, like, um, cause there's, there's a lot of controversy over like the, the UK benefit system. And like, for me, I feel like I used it in the way that it's supposed to be used. Like I got job seekers allowance, had like one month's rent paid, and I think I borrowed like another month's rent off of a friend and that was it. Now I'm like paying like tax bills out of my ears. Like, and that's what it's there for. It's like, you know, it's, it gives you that buffer to find a job. And yeah, now I have a company and now we actually employ people. So it's like, I think it's interesting if 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 you're prepared to like take those little risks then they can they can definitely pay off but that's not to say like you know it's not all, all me either like I got help along the way like what Alan did was amazing like the fact that like Steve and the guys that we are 17 like you know I had li- very little professional experience in the grand scheme of things but they still like give you a chance and then you go from there because mm. then after that after freelancing for like a year that's when I freelance at territory for a bit a couple of months and then they would offer me a job and like then i worked work there for like three and a half years and like then had like a lot of growth happen whilst working staff mm. so like it's just like blocks like yeah. just building up like layer by layer but you say you say you had help but you you actually asked for that help yeah right? that's, yeah, that's yeah. that's a big step and i think a lot of people are afraid of, of taking that step of asking for help because it feels like um yeah it feel it feels weird right it feels yeah. and it also can feel a bit like oh well who am i to like ask for you know to these people i think um you know having spoken to to quite a few people who are sort of at the beginning of their kind of motion design career and there's this feeling that like you know, all the people that they kind of look up to, the people who are, you know, the big studios and the, the experienced people, it's like they're somehow on this pedestal. And it's like, well, who am I to like, you know, yeah. even to even to reach out and say, like, 
I like your work or something, you know, feels like, Oh, that's just weird. You know, but it's like from, you know, from the, from the other side, like, I don't know anybody that is like, would be in any way like put out or upset if somebody sent an email, even if it's an email asking for help, as long as it's not like, you know, I don't know, rude or aggressive or whatever. If you're just being honest and just being like, Hey, I'm in this situation and I would love to, you know, help you in any way I can. I would love to do some work or whatever. And obviously they picked up on that, you know, the, the, the energy or whatever the, the sort of the vibe was that you were putting out when you put out those messages and the phone calls was obviously yeah. like received. Right. And they saw, oh, this is a genuine person who's, you know, got the right attitude. They've got enough like motivation to actually reach out and, you know, ask for help. Yeah, I think yeah. that goes a long way, I think. And I think in some ways that goes further than even like having skills in, I mean, obviously it's, you know, it, you kind of need, you need skills as well, but yeah, I, yeah. I feel like if someone was reaching out to me for help, let's say if I was, if I was running a studio or something looking to hire and I had two similar people, but one was like really technically good, but maybe yeah. had a bit of a, an attitude or something. And the other person was like, I don't really know that much, but I'm really keen to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can kind of tell who has potential in that way. So, you know, there's people who reach a level and then they level off because they're kind of not willing to sort of yeah. uh, be That's the beginner, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so it definitely, it shows something about that approach, like that, um, that kind of opened that opened those doors for you. Like, obviously yeah. there's a, there's the aspect of, of people helping you, but there's, there's an aspect of like, I think yeah, opening right, the doors yeah. and making yourself available to help, which is kind of, it's kind of a skill in itself, I think. Yeah. I guess when you put it like that, I mean, and I definitely would agree, like there's, there's far more that like than just being good at like design or good at software that will kind of carry you through the industry. Like there's yeah. Communication and, whole heap of other skills that like can be worked on and will probably elevate you far beyond like talent as it were. Mm-hmm. Before we go, like, before we go further, I'm also keen to hear on like, you know, the, the, the further steps as well, but just kind of like, uh, I guess just to recap a little bit on those, er- the, the early days, like <laughs> yeah. the early years. So you said like you sell, you basically sold your first artwork at age 13. Yeah. How, how many years had you been actually like creating art and stuff? before then um i guess in in that style probably like a year a year probably okay um and you say that style like so were you what were you doing other stuff before then as well uh yeah i mean it's hard to think about like putting putting the things like the timings together but like it was basically by this point i was like crossing a line between doing like letter forms like graffiti letter forms to like more illustration so i was like combining letters with like music equipment and things like that and like just graphic lines um i think it must have been older than that actually it was definitely my early teens Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was just like because i think I'm trying to think whether it was before college or during college. If it was during college, it was obviously a lot later than that, but it was definitely early, early teen years. Mm-hmm. It, it makes, it makes perfect sense to me because, you know, 
if you you know you started early so you you're basically already building your like your skills in terms of like visual communication or like from a very young age and and i think because i don't think there's anybody well i may i may be wrong but I, i don't think there's many people that can like just take up a new thing completely like and and then start selling their work you know like it if I, you know next week or something unless there's something that goes before it and and even if that thing is maybe not directly related but yeah. it, that's that's kind of how i see like you know i i didn't get my first proper like motion design job until i mean i did a couple of freelance things but it was like um i think i was 25 or something when i got my first but but i'd been doing like in university i'd be doing a lot of photography editing before that I was drawing pictures. Um, I had all these different things that were kind of like feeding into it. You know, this, it's like everything you do in a way is, is building a skill and you never really starting from scratch. You're kind of like pulling in from all these other factors and um, the fact that you, you would already started, you'd been doing image making and drawing and stuff like that you know, developing those skills um, rather than like just starting from from nothing and then creating something amazing. Definitely. I was just checking, like I was trying to think back and like think what what age are you at secondary school? Because I know even when I was at secondary school, my final piece for my art GCSE was like painting um, APS, because it was Ashton Park School, like APS art, like in the art block. My art teacher managed to like, get permission for me to do that like as part of my exam piece um so the 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 timing does match up because like i've been doing a lot of art in school then and then doing stuff at home so like yeah i think the timing is is actually about right i was just Mm -hmm. like it seems really young but it's like it yeah because i was out skating and stuff quite young and yeah it all it all all connects (laughs) yeah yeah totally and then so so you kind of so you kind of had this sort of really uh it seems like quite a fast trajectory you know from like from an early age you were selling your artwork and then you 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 went to you went to university relatively young too because you didn't you skipped out the college stage well i did i skipped out the college but i also just been working so like when um i actually went to uni slightly later if anything i think i was 21 when i went to okay because i spent like i think two years nearly two years um so when so i left college and rather than doing art foundation that's when i just worked in the pharmacy um and i was doing like t-shirts and making music and not like didn't really have many sort of aspirations i was just like quite content just doing that like were I you think, doing that like were you doing it for money like the, the t-shirts and music and stuff or was it purely like uh, the, the t-shirts yeah the the music was just like purely hobby like i was do, doing like the occasional like gig um playing out playing like djing because i knew like some of the people that i did graffiti with they also ran nights um but yeah i was pretty just like laid back about all that that stuff i just did it because it was enjoyable i didn't really kind of care like too much about like anything other than just being in that moment doing it mm-hmm. um 
yeah yeah so then I, that that was like just a couple of years just like bum basically bumming around <laughs> bumming around in bristol but just but enjoying it because it was just like like anything creative in that capacity can be like super therapeutic so mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i think bumming around is underrated yeah. <laughs> i did a lot of bumming around and it's yeah. like i feel like if i hadn't done all that bumming around like i would never have kind of found my vocation in a way because yeah. i think there was a lot of time where i just wasn't i don't think i was ready to like you know dive full into something even though maybe there was pressure you know in certain areas and i know certain yeah. other you know other people that i kind of grew up with definitely felt that pressure maybe more than I did to like, you know, have to go to university, have to get a job straight away. Um, and I'm so glad that, you know, I think, I think my parents were, they were, you know, weren't very pushy. So they, they let me sort yeah. of get away. You know, maybe there was a little bit of like, you know, uh, okay, what, what's, what's he doing with his life? <laughs> but, you know, but I, I felt like I had a bit of space to just kind of like do my own thing for a while. And, and yeah. I, I really well, feel like, yeah, just it just gave me a chance to explore. I feel like it gave me a chance to really understand what I want to do, or, or and understand the things that the things that I I like and the things that I don't like, which yeah. I think is really important when it comes to being. I think to really be successful at something, I think it has to be like that that sort of heart connection, like we talked about before. Like it's, it's you can't really force yourself to be good at something. I don't think unless you have like a, a genuine passion for it. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's ultimately what's going to keep you in it for like the longer periods and what's going to keep you in it when things don't go right or well or are hard. It's like if you're not like doing it out of the love, then it's not it's not going to last like it's just that kind of stuff. She's going to want to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, so it definitely has to have a bit of a yeah, deeper, deeper root. Yeah. In your soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, so then you, so then you got in, um, you, you were freelancing with, um, territory and then you, you, yeah. then you, you started full time there. Yeah. Um, I think I've been freelancing like just back to back on projects for like a couple of m- months. I can't remember whether, so the first thing I went in on was like Jupiter ascending and then had to go on set and yeah it was just like completely different different vibe different world then like there was a bunch of other like kind of just normal projects that like weren't as glamorous but were like totally fun still in their own right just to maybe just to fill in for people who who aren't like sort of in the motion design world like territory studio is is probably one of the biggest if not the biggest motion design studio in, in the UK, is it? Certainly up there, I think. There's a lot yeah, of employees, right? Yeah, pretty up there. Yeah, if you look at just motion design. And um, they do a lot of, um, they're kind of famous for doing a lot of work with, with big Hollywood movies, like on, especially on UI, like user interface things in, yeah, movies like Blade Runner. And yeah. pretty much every time you see one of those like digital, cool, <laughs> futuristic <laughs> interfaces, that's Territory Studio. Yeah. Just for reference for yeah. anybody who's curious. It's pretty mad. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is kind of crazy. I mean, like, the growth of that studio is is phenomenal. Like, it was it was pretty... I mean, they're, like, reasonably small when, like, when I first joined, I had a, quite a small motion team. But now they're just 
yeah, they're, they're crushing it. But I think probably just like based purely just on motion, they're, they're definitely up, up there. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, started with Jupiter ascending, did some other, other stuff. And then event, I think, I don't know where, I'm sure it was that way, Ryan, but I ended up working on Guardians of the Galaxy with Yugen. So, like, Yugen Blake, who's like insanely good um, UI designer who'd been working, he worked at Spov previously. So did like a lot of like the Call of Duty graphics, um, like UI graphics for like the, the the load screens and cinematics and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they had some like some designs for the Milano ship from Guardians of the Galaxy that needed like the 3D components. So I just like jumped into that, and that was really fun. And so it was end up doing like kind of a lot of the more like 3D parts of the UI further in my early years at t um so this kind of it feels like this it's it's not like it's i mean it's not exactly the same thing but there's a kind of a it's not a huge leap i guess from like graffiti writing and and that kind of graphic like writing um less letter forms and stuff into that ui kind of world i suppose it's yeah kind of, I mean, it feels like there's a connect like there is a sort of you know because a lot of it's about typography and sort of yeah uh, balance, yeah all, yeah and, and color use of color and, and yeah very Com- graphic sort of approach to to like yeah. image making yeah and even like layering like it's kind of different but you still have to like with graffiti you think in layers like you're cutting back and stuff and with graphic design and deep resolution you're like building stuff up layer by layer so there's definitely like overlap and also it's just like activating this similar part of the brain to everything connects <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely um yeah so, that... so then and then so what, how did you get to from so from territory you were there how, how many years were you at territory i think it was like about four years in total including the um time i freelanced so i think i was staffed for like three three years um yeah and went, then went and then you started your own studio yeah. straight after that yeah so whilst i was at t because i you know it it's hard work being like employed like um and especially being employed in like a studio that was growing at the rate like territory was and like i went from being like a senior motion designer up to like an art, art director and at that point in my career, I wasn't, I didn't really feel like I was like ready to be an art director or like be like that sort of senior level, which is ironic because I actually do a lot of that now. But at the time, it was like I was still kind of like just getting into the flow of like being hands on and like feeling like I could sort of articulate what I wanted to and. Yeah, it was just like, so that was like where I was heading within the realms of territory. Like they were growing, like they wanted sort of me to move up with with that. But I was still feeling like quite inspired creatively, like not really ready to just be fully managerial. Um, so I was still like obviously doing my job during, during the day, but then I would go home and like 
explore other things like i was playing with zebrush a lot and just like doing like kind of personal things not like dailies but like you know making renders and stuff and i was really enjoying like sculpting in zebrush and then i started looking in oh it was, it was actually in like amsterdam um for ibc and i went into this shop and like they had these like quite cool like customizable necklaces and i was quite into wearing like jewelry at the time and i thought oh it'd be sweet to like make some so i started like taking my sculpts from zebrush 3d printing them and then was getting quite excited about that i was like oh it'd be quite nice to like build a brand that like makes jewelry um it's primarily like like it's not aimed at either gender but equally it's like opening up like jewelry for guys kind of thing so i set up 23rd c in my spare time like basically just out of like again like naivety excitement like how can i push this i feel like oh like and then like you know started like making more and more pieces like combining like cinema 4d zbrush and then um made like a website like launched it and then started selling stuff through it and then i then i realized that like a lot of the sales i would get i was getting were like um fraudulent like people were trying to buy stuff with stolen credit cards because that's a thing with jewelry like i didn't realize that they that they buy they'll buy jewelry with a stolen credit card you ship it they pawn it for cash and then the payment bounces and then so then you get screwed and so i end up with like loads of these orders that would like come through and then then they would like two or three weeks later you'd get a message from the bank saying like oh um there's been a callback request on the money so then they take the money away and you're like wait what like and that happened quite a lot and i was a bit like ah like this isn't this isn't the vibe that like i was wanting from this this thing like it started out of just like enjoyment exploring new skills like you know just trying to build something new getting excited but equally like i'd kind of gone like so far that oh and by the by this point i'd gone freelance like from territory but so whilst that was happening i was still freelancing as a motion designer but because i was now freelancing and then you get like a renewed sense of like pressure and motivation i was actually really into doing motion again like because to be honest I, i was getting quite burnt out um because it's just it was hard work like working every every single day i think like you can only only give so much was that was it the fact that you were working so you were doing a full day job and doing running your business on the side is that what was burning you out or was uh, it I, I think i was burning out before that um just because of like the nature of like just being employed like in right just full time work yeah at that point for me like i'd kind of gone beyond um that being like a useful environment for me right um like so it's interesting that you went to because so it sounds to me like so 23rd c was actually initially was set up as a as a jewelry company yeah 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 wasn't and then you made I, the transition to motion design yeah so it was always going to be like like ex, ex, an expression of motion design though like the piece i did for it initially was like motion graphics all the marketing was going to be motion graphics but then in doing that i realized that like it wasn't fulfilling me in the way that like i didn't want to basically build another like consumer based brand but equally i really liked the like 
being hands-on and making stuff and like so it took me like a good almost like a good year of like reflecting on like what how do I want to like do like transition this like I've got this thing I've got the company like I've, I'm freelancing pouring like my money into this thing like it's building up like a pot and like so I was still doing the motion and I had this idea and I was like ah, how do I like combine like like what is it and it's that's when I distilled it down to like basically it should just be a design studio that mixes digital and physical because that was like that ended up being the things that like I was loving doing and it was all I was trying to just make sure that I was like loving what I was doing with it so then like I basically like pulled the website down and like just put like a holding page for 23rd C but like then it was like as motion graphics and just took the time to like get the projects that I'd done whilst freelancing that were like not not tied with any other studio so I'm not like you know saying oh we did this in the studio it's like that's not the case like it's like this was done like by 2013c like and then once I had enough projects I was like oh sweet like I can kind of launch that as a website and it just so happened that like BBC2 reached out um to because I was just getting a lot of like requests through my personal website and I said to them like oh I'm setting up this thing like um can I run this as like through my my studio and I was working a lot with Anthony um Stylo at the time and um they're like yeah sweet we don't really know about like the budget but like you can definitely do that so then what was really cool about that was that so we had like a project that was for like a good thing like BBC and it was for the Beauty 2 thing but also just by almost coincidence the the brief that they'd put forward was one that could actually be expressed like through like this physical digital collaboration it was just like the perfect project basically and so went to this meeting with with them and they showed this reference and it was like this it looked like the middle of like a stone but actually we later found out that it was like created by Rolton Howard, I think his name is that um and it's done with like paint pouring and so and the, brief, had, the brief was for it was for an ident right for BBC yeah. Two like those yeah. those idents they have between the programs where it kind of yeah. like shows the BBC Two logo yeah yeah and the one that they wanted twenty third C to do was the one called pleasurable absorbing and they basically referenced this like paint pouring but it was static and they're like we want something like that so after like doing a load of research find out the artist that made the reference that they had and then find out a way of redoing it but like redoing it with like a 3d printed too so then all the paint pouring like hit against it and it was just like the perfect project because i've been spending all this time like trying to find find my way again and then they have like a motion graphics brief that's actually like allowing you to use like physical techniques so like all of like the 3d printing and stuff that i've been doing for the jewelry then suddenly had a place and like really aligned with like this amalgamation of like the two things but it's funny because like it was quite it's quite a hard time for me in a way to like push this thing like push the jewelry idea so far and then like knowing that it was not quite 
going where I wanted wanted it to go, but then trying to figure out like how do you like make it work or like how do you let let go of it. And it took a while because like for a, even in the beginning, like I had like physical and digital, and then had like even still had the jewelry on like the site. And I was like thinking like, is it too confusing? Like it needs focus. And then eventually I was just like, well, we got to just get rid of that stuff and just it's just motion and like the physical digital thing is like the usp and even though you know we don't it's not like something that it's just like on every project it doesn't need to be on every project but like when you have the opportunity it's quite a nice like differentiator yeah it's, it's sort of part of your yeah part of your identity in a way right if it's mm-hmm. it's kind of like becomes your your brand in a sense that even if it's not even if what you create isn't always physical, there's a kind of, there's a sort of, I guess it's a way of thinking, right? A way of approaching yeah. a brief that yeah. is some people approach a project with a, you know, a very colorful approach because that's their thing. Some people yeah. approach it with a more photography based approach or whatever. And your thing is like physical, like yeah. structural, sculptural kind of stuff. Yeah. And even like, even, you know, on the projects where that isn't, possible like what when you look at like the origin like that's where this is all come from anyway so yeah and also it's like kind of being open to that as well and and you know not losing that connection with mm. with the real as yeah that's more digitally so i think it's it's what I, what i really like about that is it's kind of bringing in something that's not related to motion design where some people might think that okay if i'm starting a motion design business then i have to focus purely on motion design you know yeah. and like so maybe all of the other stuff that i'm interested in like whatever it is if i'm interested in you know i don't know canoeing or hang gliding or whatever or whatever it is like that has to be separate but i think if it if there, there's all i think there's always a way to like you know get bring in some of those other yeah. influences and i think the people who are most successful at doing that are the ones who really find like, uh, you know, like a really good niche and, and become like, you know, kind of attractive in a way because suddenly you're unique from everybody else. And you've got like this doesn't mean you're going to be like, maybe you don't appeal to like everybody, but then who does like that doesn't, yeah, yeah, that exactly. doesn't happen. Right. But like, it means that you're more visible then to a certain like section of, of clients that are then maybe more suited to you as a, as a, you know, more, a better client for your like needs and for your kind of, the kind of work that you want to do. Right. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, kind of pays off in, in multiple ways. Definitely. And I think also like one of the big things is like, it's good to have like alignment and like your North star, like where you, where you aim towards, because as like, you know, the, past couple of years for me has shown like it's very easy to get like derailed and to lose focus um and there's nothing wrong in that but it's like it's very easy for that to happen so it's good to know like where are you going and like what are your values and like it's taken me a while to like really kind of figure that out and especially as like like kind of going back to what we were saying before is like i've kind of i'm in this position now where like i have to art direct have to create a direct have to like run a business and have to like manage people from time to time (laughs) um so like and those aren't things that like i 
was naturally drawn drawn towards I was always more the opposite because I was like always the one doing like the work and being hands-on and like helping facilitate other people's ideas in a way so it's been like a big that's been like a massive like growth curve like figuring out like those sides and I'm naturally like more introverted anyway so it's like that's been very interesting like navigating the kind of like ups and downs of that discovery what's what's like the hardest part about it do you think um i think the hardest part is like it's it's funny like viewing viewing things from the other side now it's like it's interesting because like i've obviously been like i now i'm like dealing with clients i'm dealing with other artists like and i'm on the other side it feels like the other side to like where i've spent a lot of my career which is like being at the computer like doing doing the work and it's like i'm lucky in the sense that i've been there like i know kind of what like the people i'm chatting to are, are going through um but it's also like just funny like being on the other other side of it and like yeah knowing when to like be like assertive and when to be compassionate like there's like so many it's so nuanced and like you know dealing everyone requires like a different style of communication a different stuff like style of motivation and i think being sensitive to that whilst also like navigating the like ebbs and flows of like your own like life and emotions and personality is like definitely like the the trickiest thing and like yeah it's it's interesting like being because you yeah you have to sometimes it feels like you have to be really on it because like if you're not on it then you can't expect like the rest of your team to be on it you know because like mm-hmm. you're not feeding them the correct information so that's definitely like challenging when you're not necessarily in the mindset <laughs> to do that so it's mm-hmm. like yeah getting used to like you have to know when to like switch it on basically mm-hmm. it's just that's interesting like because it's just it's like it's things that you don't really you don't experience until you're in that position especially not like for, for me because it's not like i'm naturally like that way inclined like socially for example where it's just like but when it's a project it's like i have to switch into that mode you know mm-hmm. yeah so it's just interesting <laughs> yeah for sure and you meant like you we, we were talking earlier also about about collaboration and how you came to sort of have this kind of network of of collaborators all over the world and do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, wh- why did you go down that route as opposed to the traditional route of, you know, just sort of getting people from your from your local area and, and making a physical studio? Like, how did that come about? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of reasons. Like, there's one, on the one hand, I guess, like, currently speaking, like, I'm really kind of motivated by getting, like, the best people or, like, the right people together on certain projects like i find that like hugely fulfilling um 
seeing like whenever there's a brief and you're like oh this person would be sick for that and like and then you can pull people together like the xbox project was really really good for that because we just managed to like just pull together like just a dope team and everyone just like filled their their niche within that and like smashed it how are you how did you bit was it was it based purely on just like looking at people's portfolios online or did you already have contacts with the people uh, some like i'd say it's half and half like some already had contact with already worked with already know how they work and others were like it was, it was new and it was just like that is a really good fit like um but it's just like it's just that gut feel like you can see like you're like yeah this person can just smash that and i find that like massively fulfilling um and i quite like like for me it's like it feels fulfilling because like the, like half the people i work with like are way better than me in a given area like so you'd like get them to do it <laughs> like they're way better like get the better person to do it get out, like get out of the way so i like try and do what i can to make their their life easier and it's, it's, it's been interesting it's like i find that like massively fulfilling and like even like creatively fulfilling like just having those conversations and like just giving little little nudges like barely having to do much but just giving like little navigations in the right direction I just find that really fulfilling um and also it feels like you know it's it's good for them it's like helping them on on their journey and but then the other the other side of that is that like a film like because at one point um maybe was it like two years ago there was a few of us like and everyone was on like a monthly like salary retainer or however, however you want to like phrase it but at the same equally like there was like there was pressure to pay people every month and i think in hindsight it, it happened too quickly like we weren't really there yet it was just again you get caught up in this like excitement naivety like cycle but then i found myself like shifting into this world of like or this mentality of like you know you have people to pay so then you then need to get work and then it creates this like feedback loop of you don't you just need to get a job done you need to get paid versus like why are we doing this like versus the creativity and i, I like there's obviously like a balance in that and you know some places find find that and they do, do amazing but at that point where at least where i was at like and where the company was at it was like it wasn't the right vibe and like at the end of the day like i'm in this to do things for the love like that's the thing that like i'm trying to like keep as the constant because yeah like money's money like the money will come when it will go like whatever but it's like there needs to be more than that you know and like if i'm if i'm not operating in a way that like feels good like i don't want to do that um so yeah at the moment like the way things are where you can like expand and contract and you work with people and you have like really intense periods and then you all dissipate and then you all come back together like it feels more it just feels more right um for like where this 
things are at like both from a business point of view from like global economic point of view like all those things it just feels like that to me feels like something that i can work with mm. and explore more explore deeper versus like yeah like it's it's good it's good having like the the core the core guys like you know you, things wouldn't work without that but if, but in terms of like a long-term strategy i wouldn't feel great about going down that route like i want to try a different route mm-hmm. but that's kind of like what i do i try and like rebel against the norm in my own little light way <laughs> so, nice i can I, see that i can see yeah. that it's it's um you, i can tell that you're you're very kind of in touch with you know that sort of inner sense of what feels right and what what doesn't uh yeah. like i'm curious if you have any like do you have any kind of sort of mechanisms or you know like i don't know is there anything that you do to sort of to get in touch with that or is it just something you just kind of have always had i think i mean i can't speak for everyone but i, I think it's always there i think we're bet, better as modern humans at ignoring it rather than listen, listening to it mm-hmm. totally agree yeah. like really like the the only thing i do is like try and listen and then try and evaluate and i'm like like when stuff goes bad i'm like you knew that like you felt that why didn't you listen Mm. like and you don't listen because you're like you're scared or you don't trust it or like you think oh this time it'll be different and like Mm -hmm. so really it's just like over time you just become more confident in like your gut voice or like your heart voice and yeah it's really just about listening to that and I think like maybe this feels like a massive jump, but I find like the biggest thing for me is like I have to keep my mind straight, like um, as in like low stress. So like being active and exercising is like a big one because like I can just like focus on a task. Like I've been in a situation before where like I massively overprioritize work like I wasn't taking care of myself, put on loads of weight, like wasn't eating well, wasn't like, wasn't taking care of myself basically. Um, and that takes its toll. Like you see it physically, but also like you feel it mentally and then you don't, that will impact your decision-making. So like actively, like I try and just keep my head straight, keep like, keep my focus good and my stress levels low. And then that will help you make decisions. And then that will in, in, turn put you more in touch with the different voices that inevitably like throw themselves up all the time but like then it's not like a it's not like a panic reaction because you can just like evaluate it and listen and be like right like is this the way to go or is that way to go like but it, but you know you make mistakes always that's part of being being human so you just have to keep keep moving forward absolutely I love that. Yeah. I think it's a real, um, like you say, I think everybody has it and some people are more in touch with it than others, but it's also like practice in a way. Like, I think the more you listen to it, like the better you get at hearing it. Right. Like that's kind of like a, a, kind of a muscle in a way that you have to work, work on to like, yeah. Yeah. And I think part of that is also about, it's about priority, right? Cause it's like, 
it's easy to put the, it kind of goes back to that thing of, you know, what's, what's more important, the sort of external, like logical, you know, which is basically received wisdom, like knowledge that you're getting from outside, which is telling you, you know, you have to do things this way. Like, this is how you make money. This is how you do business, all of that stuff. And then the internal wisdom, which maybe sounds sometimes sounds completely mental and it's telling you to do all kinds of shit that's that, that like by sort of normality standards is completely ridiculous, but you know, but that's the internal wisdom that's like, and that's what what gets you there. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting. It's like a lot of a lot of those kind of decisions and feelings get basically you can distill them down to like fear or love, I guess. And it sounds really like extreme or whatever, but like that's kind of what it is. Like you some things are scary. Like so like your brain will naturally be like, Okay, like that's a bit scary, that's a bit of a risk. Like let's kind of not do that. Let's do the safe option. But it's like, but sometimes the safe option is the thing that ends up screwing you over in the long run any anyway so yeah like you said about your your dad who got who who got like laid off there's no there's no such thing it's like security doesn't exist in real life you know because you could have you could have this the safest job in the world and then you know something unexpected happens and that industry is gone it's like you know risk risk is like only ever like so many layers deep right so like say like to use that example again you know, on the surface, you have a job, you're employed, fine, like, I've been in this job for 30 years, like, I'm secure. But then that gets cut. So, like, is that more stable than, like, you not knowing where your next paycheck's coming from, but having some autonomy over that? Like, it. the other one, the latter is, like, seems way more risky, but at least it's in your hands and you know where you're at, like, you know, if you know that you're in a risky position, you can like take kind of logical steps to mitigate that or like prolong like how long you can survive for. Like I think one of the biggest things like, you know, I genuinely never have thought that like I would want to be in a position where like you, you know, work with other people and you have a responsibility to like pay them, for example, because like, I was like, oh, that's really scary. Like this idea of like being in, in the middle and like, you know, being squeezed, but you just get used to it because like that, but before that even happens, it, you kind of feel that even as like a freelancer, you know, like you have to manage your own finances. You don't know like when, um, when the next project is going to come in. And then even when you get the next project, you have to do the work, then you have to wait. 30 days or 60 days so like you don't really know, and then you might not get paid on time like not get paid at all like so like there's so many layers of like kind of preparation and, and like yeah preparation for like the worst situation that you mm-hmm. have to take and i guess just after a while like you get used to like your your just um your timeline like and how much like risk you can take on just becomes longer or shorter and you just adapt accordingly, but at least you know like what kind of timeline you're working on. Yeah. It's sort it's sort of like becoming sort of resilience to uncertainty, right? Like being able to kind of live with uncertainty. I yeah. Think that's that's difficult for a lot of people, for everyone, I think. Yeah. But it's like I mean, it's, it, but again, it, it's something you practice, right? The more you yeah. can be comfortable with it, the the, yeah. the longer you can stay in that, then it's difficult, but it gets easier over time. And like it's that's it's like a really interesting one for you to bring up because i found like you know 
it's I think in the 23rd season, like in its fourth year now, like as a business, like it's very obviously different in terms of like as a studio, for example, because you know, like within that four years, I had like one year of like over like one in a bit years of freelancing and then like half a year figuring it out and like it just evolves slowly and then like you know the actual studio is maybe like two years old if you look at it that way but at the end, the end of the day like in terms of like the behind the scenes working of it and like the, the flows like it's taken me years to get used to this like when there's nothing which doesn't happen that often like there's always something going on like before like that you, you might have like a whole month of like quiet time whereas now it's like not even a couple of days like there's always like something's finishing something something starting but you definitely have like crazy busy times and then like quieter times and before the quiet times used to like freak me out it's like oh god like is this it like is end is, is over like now it's like it's quiet so like I'm gonna take my foot off the gas and like I'm gonna go with that flow rather than go against it because like I know like history has told me that it's gonna pick back up again and then if it doesn't okay we'll worry about it then but at least like rather than it being like oh my god I'm really busy and you're like oh it's really quiet crap like what we're gonna do like like and then you're just always on and then you're just knackered it's like they're you know life has a natural flow and it's in everything like energy it's just it oscillates and like the kind of more comfortable you get with like going with that that oscillation the better and it's just funny because like especially you know this this last year like we've had this pandemic and it's been mad because you know everything around is like going crazy but like the uncertainty of everything has just been constant because there was uncertainty before yeah before this there's uncertainty during it but if you if you're employed maybe like and you then you got like furloughed and stuff like that like maybe this is like your first experience into like the uncertainty of life but when you're like self-employed you just live by that don't you like you live by the ups and downs and like yeah, it's good. I think it's good. I don't think there's enough, like, I say this a lot, like, I don't think there's enough of a incentive for people to try that within, mm. like, the modern, well, not the modern, but within, like, the, you know, public school. Yeah, system. for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely, it feels like in my, in my education also felt, I felt that way. It was very much like, this is the structure. These are the boxes, you know, yeah. choose a box and get yeah, in there and stay yeah. there, you know, and don't, yeah, you know. There's never like huge discussions around like what are you passionate about? What do you yeah. really like to do? Like, how can you turn this into something that can provide an income? Like, my experience was like really not that. It was like, how do you get good grades? How do you get a job? And it's like, but wait a second, like, why can't we switch to the discussion to like how can you like add value? Like, you know? Yeah, that's huge. And yeah. I think like like I said before it all depends because you know it's like for, for me personally like being when I was employed like I had a tremendous amount of personal growth because I was around like amazing people like the guy like 
Peter, Marty, Ryan, David, Sam, like all a lot from different territory. Like you le- learn so much from from being all together and all, like there's just loads to learn. Um, so I'm not like saying that, that it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that like the whole, the whole like culture around like pe- people's like vocation is like I feel like it's skewed, and there could be like bigger conversations around like how can you yeah kind of add value beyond that 100 percent, yeah totally i i if to me it feels a bit like we're still kind of we're it's it's almost like we're still working it we're living in this kind of outdated system that hasn't really changed much since like you know in industrial revolution it's like we're still kind of using yeah. this this sort of paradigm or this system that was created when when workers were basically just machine parts that like went into a factory and just pushed the you know pull the lever or you know like just did something mechanical all day and and now it's like the real value is in coming up with new ideas or fresh approaches or finding solutions to problems and all that kind of stuff yeah and i feel like at the moment like we're there's a much greater need for that kind of thinking and that like application of skills to you know that yeah Space. Totally. Yeah. Creativity. It's like, I, I think it comes down to that. I think, I think it's creativity that everybody has and we've just kind of neglected it because as a society or a culture, I think we've undervalued it and we put too much value on like just the more straightforward logical approach, just get shit done, you know, just grind it out. Yeah. But it's missing out on all the magic and all of the just, you know, incredible stuff that comes from creativity. Yeah. So, all of the solutions. It's all yeah, exactly solutions right yeah. it's like we've got plenty of problems but we don't have many yeah. solutions. we <laughs> yeah. seem to be like making more problems and not yeah. many solutions so yeah, yeah i think it's like i think it's something that, that elon musk said is that like th- things don't change unless people change them like when you're looking at those kind of things like those kind of bigger problems or bigger like issues or things that are happening it's like you know if you don't seek to change them then they will stay the same. Mm-hmm. Like the pro- progress doesn't happen on its own. Like I think he was talking about it with regards to COVID and the economy. And he was like, you have to understand that the economy doesn't just exist as like a thing. Like it, it exists because people are building things and like things are working. So it's like, yeah, on the one hand, obviously it's people, you say economy and you think just like money. But on the other hand, it's like, that's the kind of like engine for progress in some ways, if you kind of care to look at it in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Just taking a fresh look. Right. I think yeah. that's, yeah, totally. Well, it, it's, um, it's been great talking to you. I think we need to wrap it up, but like maybe yeah. just before, before we go, like, uh, I just want to ask you about like creativity and what, like, what does it actually mean to you if you had to put it into a little box, which is maybe, against the point but you know what i mean how would you how would you express that idea of creativity what does it mean to you um it's interesting as soon as you say putting it in a box it's like i feel like creativity is like kind of understanding the box that you're in and like getting outside of it and trying to see it from new angles yeah definitely it's like i feel like it's just about seeing seeing things from from new angles Mm -hmm. um and trying to build upon that but also, like, the one thing I really like is, like, this idea that, like, um, 
you as a creative person are like a vessel for this creative output and that creativity essentially is just like an energy that's coming from somewhere else like somewhere much deeper and you're just the the three-dimensional kind of vessel to release that into another form and then like you, a, like a conduit. you do it what's that like a conduit exactly yeah, yeah. like in you doing that you're like then passing that energy on and it's just this infinite kind of movement of energy and exploring exploring new angles yeah awesome yeah just something just sprang to mind like the like a metaphor of like a like a windmill you know like a power you know like a windmill that turns wind yeah. into electricity so it's like it's this thing that's always there and it's just but like it's only if you're kind of tuned into it or you have the right kind of whatever it is your equipment which is your perspective and your skills or whatever yeah. you're channeling that energy that form of energy which nobody can see into something visible like turning on the lights or you know whatever it is it's like i think that's that's the skill of creativity it's not it's not like creating you're not necessarily creating something from nothing but you're you're sort of like redirecting yeah redirecting from it. over there and turning into something like something putting that, in a different place or different use yeah that, that can then be interpreted in a different way mm. and then that energy will then take on another form again whether it's through like inspiration or sending people on a different different journey or like happiness yeah it's very interesting it needs to be definitely needs to be valued highly and not not stamped out of people <laughs> fully agree a, a thousand percent yeah yeah bring back the inner the inner child 100 <laughs> percent. bring back the weirdo that's what yeah. it's all about we gotta, yeah. we gotta get in touch with our weirdos like yeah. before it's too late <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Nick. It's been a wicked conversation. I really enjoyed yeah. talking ah, to you. Cool. Well, yeah. Great to chat, man. If you'd like to find out more about Nick and check out some of his amazing work, you can go to his personal website, nickill.com, N-I-K-I-L-L.com, or his studio site, 23rdc.com. And he's also on Instagram at underscore underscore nick hill underscore underscore and at 23rd c and all of that will be in the show notes as well thank you for listening to this episode of the creative weirdo if you'd like to stay informed about future episodes of the podcast and you'd like a little bit of weekly weirdness in your inbox then you can go and sign up for my newsletter at tomcrate.com forward slash hello And I'd love to hear from you too. Shoot me a message. What's your hidden superpower that maybe even you didn't know about? And how are you going to unleash it on the world? (laughs) 